If tomorrow was your last day, would you feel as though you have maximized your potential? How would you describe your perfect day with no limitations? How can you work towards achieving something as close to this, if not exactly that? And what is your dream life? Where is it? Who's there with you? And what does your Saturday look like versus a Monday? These are some of my favorite questions from the What Fulfills You card game. And I created this card game with the intention to help you on your journey of personal growth, as actually all of these questions in this card game are questions that helped me in my own personal growth journey in my 20s. But even more than that, these questions help cultivate more purposeful and meaningful conversations, whether it's with your colleagues, your close friends, or date night. I love to play this on a night in with a few glasses of wine, or now that it is spring and summer season, I think it's just so fun to bring this with you when you're hanging out at the park, especially for my fellow New Yorkers who like to hang out in Central Park, have a cheese board, and just have some deep conversations. You can shop the card game online at whatfulfillsyou.com and since you are a listener of the show, you can get 10% off your purchase with the code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. That's whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout at whatfulfillsyou.com. Enjoy! Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Tuesday episode of the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily Elizabeth. I'm your host. And on today's conversation, I have the lovely Cassie Petrie, who is the CEO and co-founder of celebrity social media and artist management firm, Crowdsurf. And Crowdsurf is actually the company behind iconic artists, social media marketing, including Backstreet Boys, Camila Cabello, and Britney Spears. Cassie is also a Forbes 30 Under 30 and Billboard 30 Under 30 recipient and a 15-year veteran of the music industry. So what I really enjoyed about this conversation is that we got to dive into a topic that I don't have much on this podcast, but in general, very much focused on business and balancing a busy career-driven lifestyle as well as different tidbits in social media marketing, things to pay attention to. And I would say that's especially helpful for those of you who, if you are working in social media or PR and you're managing accounts for clients, or if it's something that you are utilizing for business or work in any way, she definitely shares a lot of her thoughts and what she sees is going to be important moving forward. And you know what I was thinking when I was editing this podcast is that if I were in college right now and I was really curious about social media and PR, but I wasn't sure what industry would be a good fit for me, this episode would definitely pique my interest because like if I heard this when I was a junior or senior, I would have been like, oh, I wonder if I could use my skills in that industry because I also love music, right? So something to think about if you are currently in college or you are still brainstorming the direction you want to go for your career, then definitely keep that in mind as you are listening. And so with that being said, let's welcome Cassie to the podcast. 
Amazing. Well, Cassie, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk about your specific industry because it is very different. I feel like a lot of people often have questions about like, what do you do? Like, what is that industry like? And I think that's really where I want to start, which is celebrity and artist management and just the scope of work that you do, because it is very tailored to something specific. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so my company does Crowdsurf does artist management and we also do like digital marketing management. I feel mm -hmm. like one of the reasons actually we got into artist management is because there is a lot of overlap now with digital management and just general talent management. Digital management has become, oh, you know, I've been doing this for 18, 19 years now wow. and it's become such a large part of somebody's career. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of put it in perspective, when it, when I started in digital marketing, I worked at Warner Brothers in Nashville mm -hmm. and it, the average amount of music that would get sold digitally per release was 3%. And mm -hmm. I remember one time we, I was working on the records and that's Michelle Branch's country mm -hmm. duo, amazing mm -hmm. record. And I remember that record got sold 10% digital and that was a really big deal at the time. And mm -hmm. now it would be a big deal if even 3% of your music was consumed <laughs> physically. So it's, it's changed a lot. Um, and the services have evolved a lot, which is really, really cool. But um, it's, you know, I think the moral of the story is it's it's always changing and every client operates so differently and needs different things. And it's really being able to figure out how to assess somebody's personality, their goals and their situation and figure out how do you and your team support an artist on that journey. What did digital look like back then with Michelle Branch? I loved listening to her. This is such like OG music too, right? Like back in the day, like I'm thinking um, there's like two of her top songs and I can't think of the title, but it's like the, the ones where you hear and you just know and you like sing with the song. All You Wanted is one of them, right? Yeah, they're probably like All You Wanted everywhere. Um, I actually yeah. heard Are You Happy Now, Happy now um, in the airport the other day, um, which I was oh, like, oh, really? I forgot about that song. It's so good. Yeah, so <laughs> I was a really big fan before I worked on the country projects. So I know her catalog pretty well. Yeah. What was digital like back then? So I don't know around circa what year this was, but I'm assuming if I had to guess, this is like kind of iTunes store sales. Like what was that like? Obviously it's very different now, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I started working at a record label in 2004 at Warner. Oh, wow. and, I, and I worked and it was called New Media at the time, <laughs> the New Media <laughs> Department. And basically New Media was all media that was new and nobody else knew what to do with it. iTunes goes to the new media department. Websites go to the goes to the new media department. Ringtones goes to the new media department. But um, it was fun because there was all this new technology kind of coming into the world, and but there were no rules on how to use mm -hmm. it. Um, it, it's it, it was it was wild. Uh, MySpace uh, came into the mix at that time as mm -hmm. well, and that's like kind of how I got my in. Is I really liked MySpace and figured out how to help artists use that, and yeah. Warner. I did it for one Warner artist and a lot of people at Warner heard about it and wanted me to work on more MySpace pages. So that's sort of how mm -hmm. I got my start in social media, but I kind of got folded into the digital department. So that was, for me, I was tracking ringtone sales, iTunes mm -hmm. sales, um, email lists were important. Uh, MySpace page was important. Mm -hmm. Building web was important. Um, and then we were, and this was before iPhone. So it was still iPods at this time. And I remember we got probably in like 2005 or 2006 Nokia sent us this phone that could take video 
and the video quality was it was cool at that time it was horrible but i remember we were running around trying to like shoot artists with this content because that's what the phone companies wanted us to do and they were going to be able to give us placement within their systems if we did this or that sort of thing so i remember shooting like really poor level content on these phones <laughs> um, but it's crazy that like where it's kind of evolved to to now but this was like before there was a selfie camera on phone mm -hmm. like I've, been, I've watched um not only social media evolve a lot but i've watched hardware evolve a lot and hardware always um sort of informs what social media looks like if you think about it. so mm -hmm. it's it's really it's it's cool to see how far it's come yeah yeah no it's funny that we're talking about that too because i mean i was born in 97 so i was definitely and i have an older brother so i was you know there in the process of all these things happening because my older brother who's in his uh, early mid-30s i was like seeing it happen you know and so it's funny because it depends on like if you have an older sibling or like what year you're born you might not even realize like these things existed prior yeah. to uh, like the very first iphone or like some people don't might not know what an mp3 player is so that's why i was like curious what did digital sales look like at that three percent you know yeah it was i mean the itunes was the only really player at that point there may be like there are other platforms in the mix like i remember rhapsody and a few others mm, uh but right. I, itunes was the was the the moment of that time it was definitely the itunes era so when it comes to like client work and when you're managing these artists and and as they're progressing in their journey what are some of the top tips that you're sharing with them and like are you actually managing their accounts or are they doing so hands-on and they're being kind of advised by your team how does that look so it both in artist management and on the like if i'm you know so i have some clients that i, I manage their whole career and some that i just manage their like digital part of their career mm -hmm. and uh, now at this point every artist is very involved in their social media they have it on their phone they're logged in they're posting um i would say our role for a, a lot of our clients now is more like it depends everyone's different some people they like have a vision but don't know how to edit it on video so they send it to us and we help them edit mm. that um, but we're also i think just like a reminder for a lot of people so we're like reminding them hey you need to post about your tour or hey here's how we're going to announce your new single like what ideas do you have to incorporate into this uh, but here right. you know we, we can work with you on the creative but like we definitely need to get it the pre-save announced by this time and, mm -hmm. and we help people make like if there's a motion graphic around a single that is goes on their instagram story we're we're mm -hmm. make stuff like that. we build websites we build email lists we create e-blast um we help people get set up with text message lists so like if somebody wants to use a platform like lalo or community to text with their fans we help them mm -hmm. you know figure out which platform is best for them and then help them remember to use it because it's, it's mm -hmm. hard to integrate a new social media tool into your toolbox and then help them think of creative ways to use it. But there's no way at this point, I think that an artist, I, I think 10 years ago, an artist could pass off social media and be like, I don't like it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to touch it. Right. You deal with it, but you can't do that anymore. They, they have mm -hmm. to be involved to a certain extent. I think it's just how involved and, what they do or don't what help with is you know the thing that we have to to figure out and i think our goal has become more of like how do we make this beast 
less stressful for them and how do we take some of the work off their plate because it's it's a lot to manage for even for me too with like managing uh, you know different social accounts of my own and clients and stuff it's it's a lot <laughs> and the content and you know with even with video too right long form and short form i definitely wanted to touch on that too is because that has really skyrocketed over the past three years now and it's become a way for people to connect with their audience more and really connect and and grow faster what is your take on on that from like brands perspective as well as uh, you know artists and creators and whoever um what is your perspective on how how much that is needed like utilizing video whether on youtube shorts instagram reels TikTok? like how are you using strategy behind that there's you have to use video at this point there's no way mm -hmm. that we can operate off of five years ago instagram photo only strategy it's just mm -hmm. it's it's unfeasible and and the reason why videos become so popular is because everyone's phone is good enough now to mm -hmm. take great video and yeah. and again hardware always dictates oh, i can't talk social media <laughs> trends yeah and and we have we have good video quality on our phones mm -hmm. now so therefore mm -hmm. video is going to be a more important form of communication but everyone has to figure out how to integrate video into their communication system at this point there's no way around it whether you're an artist or a brand or if you're a business of some sort whether an individual or a consumer mm -hmm. product or selling a service you have to have some type of video strategy if you're using social media to like publicly market your your service there's no way to I mean, you can't avoid video. I don't know if you're going to have that much success if you do, but you, yeah. in order to be successful, you really do have to figure out what your video, what your videos look like and how you integrate that into your marketing. So how are you differentiating it from, let's say, like an, an artist who's a singer versus maybe another celebrity that's like not actually doing any kind of music? Like, how are you differentiating that strategy for your clients? Um, I mean, I primarily work with artists. Okay. So, okay, so, got it. Yeah. So it's... uh. Most of the people that work at my company, they come work with us because they want to work in music. We do have, I would say, a handful of people that aren't music. We have um, some comedians, some people who maybe were in music but are more focused on other avenues now, whether it's acting or mm -hmm. brand work or something else. Um, but, you know, I would say a lot of the, if you're a, a human with fans, the strategies are somewhat similar um there's mm -hmm. some technical things i can get into that are different like for example in comedy um you're gonna edit a stand-up clip differently than you edit a you know a concert clip um yeah. and there's some platforms where stand-up comedy will oftentimes perform better than like concert content or music centric content like there's a moment there's been certain types of comedic comment on tiktok that performs way better than than you know music content or um at, right now on youtube shorts if you're a comedian and doing uh stand-up clips and you edit them right for uh shorts like you can get millions and millions of views there's a really good opportunity there right now but there there are overall a lot of you know similarities in those projects because they are like people who have fans and yeah. you have to have a certain level of like I think sort of emotion and awareness when you're a person that you when you're a person that's a product <laughs> what, right. is what it comes down to yeah yeah you mentioned like for example with uh, comedians like being on YouTube shorts right now there's like a real like if they're doing it 
if they're editing it right, they could get a lot of and, and grow a lot faster on YouTube shorts. What do you mean by that in terms of like if they're doing it right? Is it like a specific, let's just say right now, for example, as far as I know, YouTube shorts, you can't go past like 60 seconds, right? But is it like a strategy behind like how long it is or like the way it's cut? Like maybe dive into that for the audience if they're curious on like what makes a really good YouTube short video type or real what, you know, et cetera. Are you currently in college or recently graduated but kind of struggling to figure out how to approach your post-grad life? If so, then I have the perfect guide for you, which I created for my college self in mind. That is the Everyday Girl's Guide to Career Success ebook, which features a holistic approach to all things starting out in your career during and after college, from cultivating the right mindset, building your resume, maximizing your LinkedIn profile and network, and so much more. I take you through a personal step-by-step -step guide on how to prepare for all areas needed when searching for a job. And these were actually many steps that I personally did between my sophomore and senior year of college, as well as the first year out of college. So I always highly recommend to start early to create opportunities for yourself. In this ebook guide, you will find cover letter tips and custom templates available for download, resume building steps, with three custom templates, LinkedIn tools, and step-by-step -step guide on maximizing your profile, top 20 behavioral interview questions, and a lot more. Again, you can find this online at whatfulfillsyou.com. Just make sure when you click shop, just go to all products and you will find the ebook there, or just go to the show notes and it will be linked. Yeah, so on, on the comedy front, it, it's it's challenging to edit from a state like let's say there's a stand-up special on netflix and you're editing that down to you you have to you can't just take the clip and you can't just pick a timestamp and put it on youtube shorts you have to do right. some things to it to make it perform well one you have to like frame it so that it fits vertically that's going to yeah. be one way that you optimize a video you don't want to have like we always call them like the black bars like above mm -hmm. and below mm -hmm. you want it to fit the whole screen and cut it to aspect ratio that works on you know vertically on yeah youtube shorts or other i called short form vertical content platforms so that's one one of the other things in com with comedy in particular that's tricky is like how to nail the pauses so like when you go to a comedy show mm -hmm. pause and space is really important like mm -hmm. to kind of like let the audience react to your joke but TikToks and youtube shorts don't allow enough time to really do that so you have to figure yeah. out how to edit these clips down to be more quick but mm -hmm. not too quick to where people don't have time to have like the moments where they would laugh yeah. so th there's a, there's an art to that and you know and i think we're all still trying to figure out how to get it right in a lot of those situations but that's challenging and then you have to figure out and then another thing that's really important i think especially with stand-up videos is text overlay and what that looks mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. um you know and then how big you know like how big is too big and intrusive or you know mm -hmm. what, what the right size is and this is always i would say the best practice is always changing on everything mm -hmm. it's a lot of experimenting and be like this one did better than this but is it because the content was better or because we edited it differently so it's always like you don't ever mm -hmm. know the answer sometimes yeah. um yeah. but always trying to experiment with different things to get better and better at it but those are you know you you definitely have to do a little bit it sounds simple. You're like, well, I just take this joke from Netflix and put it up on, on YouTube shorts. And like, yes, but there's a lot of like 
little nuanced things you have to do to make that translate to that platform. And I feel like YouTube shorts too, compared to TikTok and Instagram reels, definitely kind of, it came after, of course, but like it's been, you know, I've heard a lot of positive feedback on getting like a return on posting YouTube shorts and whatnot. What would you say are like the new, any, if any, like social platforms that you feel like are blowing up for brands or where execs are discovering talent, you know, in, in, in like, let's say like the music industry or any kind of arts? Yeah. So the main players are still important. It, it, yeah. People are signing artists off TikTok all the time. Um, and Instagram, I would say that's where most, that's where an A&R person's most likely to be. Um, you know, I think you could probably build a YouTube short story. I don't know if somebody's going to discover you there, but if somebody does discover you, then you have a story on YouTube shorts to back it up. I think that enhances yeah. your chances of possibly securing a deal or building a relationship with that record label. Um, but in terms of just stuff that I think is going to be big next, I predict that we're going to see a resurgence in apps that tell you what to do in real life. So I think we're already kind of seeing a little bit of like a meetup renaissance in terms mm -hmm. of that app. It's been around for a while, but I think we're going to see it kind of come back around and play, have a bigger moment in pop culture. Mm -hmm. um, the same with Eventbrite. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's going to kind of come back into the mix and have a big moment. Um, and I think some stuff that, you know, we don't, you know, we don't have Foursquare, at least not. And I don't know if it even, yeah. you can even download it, but I think we're going to see stuff that, is digitally organizing things to do in real life. I think people mm -hmm. are looking for things to do in real life. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, I think that's kind of, I think that's where trends are going right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I truly do. So we'll see, but people are, people are, uh, people are looking for things to do. They want, right. they want to have fun. They want to do things not on the internet. So. Right. And it's, it's funny when you say that I'm thinking about, I forget the app name, but there was one where it's like you host a room where you have like a conversation. This was like huge in 2020. You probably recall house it party too. or was it house party? Why was it house party or something else? Was it maybe it was house party? I'm not sure, there, but it or was clubhouse when, or oh clubhouse. There we, yeah. go. there we go. It was clubhouse. Right. And okay. that was like booming during um, 2020 and everyone was having these virtual conversations and and panels and whatnot and it's funny when you were saying that i was thinking yeah wait, what happened to that one because that one was so virtual based that yeah. as you're talking about doing things in real life i'm like i wonder if that's part of the reason why this one kind of slipped off the face of earth <laughs> yeah i also i think the culture on clubhouse got weird really fast because right. I, I remember i liked it a, like i would I, I would go during COVID. i would go like i'd get my daily steps i go walk every night now i would listen to rooms or i would talk in rooms while i did right. that and you know, and it was super like, I felt like there was no ego. And then it got to this point where like, you had to like intro yourself and like leave the stage in a certain way. So you'd be like, <laughs> and I'm Cassie and I'm done speaking. And I'm just like, okay, I'm done with this. That's like so annoying. Like how you would like have to intro yourself. And it became, I don't know, it became, it kind of became too uppity for my taste. I don't know a better word for it, but it, it, it became a little pretentious and I I stopped enjoying it at that point. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I agree with the pretentious thing, but I found it like kind of ironic that like it just went very dead, very like abruptly. Like I feel like a lot of it just like went off the face of earth, like like all at once. But yeah. it also ro like rose, I guess, during that period, like very, very fast. Too. It, 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 like had a, it went really fast. It, I I don't know what happened. I would have <laughs> sold when I got that giant amount of money that was offered. Right, um, right, but, right. But I think what else happened to is all the other platforms. It was kind of a simple tool 
when it comes yeah. down to it. And I think a lot of people were able to create a rep, you know, replicated a version of that pretty quickly. And I, I still see, you know, Twitter room, Twitter audio rooms like popping off sometimes and that's sort yeah. of things. But I, I think, you know, the social audio was was cool and it was a nice relief from zoom but i think what's going to be a nicer relief from re- relief from both of those things is real life things to do totally totally and yeah. i'm on board with that you know especially i live in new york city and i used to live in la so i've always been like i like to do things that's part of why i live in these cities because there's yep. a lot of, to do um but you mentioned twitter and it's something i do want to get into and really pick your brain about because <sighs> you know i think we could probably both agree that old Twitter was not going to be sustainable to some extent. And, you know, again, I'm not heavily on that platform, but I'm a huge observer and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, uh, why Elon, whether you agree or disagree, whether he's the person to make those massive changes, um, you know, with risk taking, why people are going to come back to Twitter, why it's going to maybe improve over the next few years compared to where it was in the prior, let's say like three to five years. Yeah. So I do think, you know, regardless of if I agree with every shakeup, I do think Twitter was due for a big shakeup. I think right. the only way it could possibly, and I don't know if it's going to survive, but right. I think the only way it could possibly survive is with sort of controversial and big changes. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think the one thing that did need a big shakeup and I'm, you know, I don't know if anybody's got the format right on it yet, but I'm glad that it's at least changing is mm-hmm. I think verification badges needed a, a huge reset. And I'm glad to see that that's happening um, yeah. because it's, it's interesting to me to watch, you know, I see a lot of people complaining about the verification badge situation and I get the complaints about like, it sucks that the two factor verification is getting taken away. Mm-hmm. And it sucks that it's going to be, you know, for people who are quote unquote famous, the there's a little tab on verification where you just see verified mentions. And that's, mm-hmm. that was really nice for being able to like, see if a journalist or an artist is talking about you. So, I, you know, I, I do look forward to maybe some kind of solution for that tool now, because that tool's sort of gone to hell because everyone mm-hmm. can get a verification badge now. Yeah. But I do you know, something we've seen a rise in in the past couple years is normal people getting catfished all the time and people making fake profiles, you know, like how many times every day I'm going to see somebody on Instagram being like fake profile report on their Instagram stories. Right. That being said, I think that there is a purpose now to have a verification badge go beyond people of celebrity status because Mm -hmm. we are seeing, like we're seeing that normal people need to be verified now because they're identities getting stolen i just think the verification badges it, it became this sort of it start it, its actual original intention was to verify that that account was who it said it was that was the right. original purpose of verification and that now again is becoming the purpose of verification but we've gotten to a point in social media where it's not just celebrities being imitated it's normal people so i do think that that verification badge needs to be what more widely available if people want to protect themselves from that um mm-hmm. i just feel like a bunch of people are mad about it because it's <laughs> available to the peasants now so to speak but <laughs> but, but but i but i i think it's i think it's great um you know i i am gonna miss that sorting tool and you know i don't know if the like the pricing format is quite nailed it yet and, and you know both either within meta or twitter but 
I I do like that a normal person can verify that this is indeed who I am. I think that's a, a very powerful thing. And I think that it's nice that that's available to people, whether you're quote unquote a celebrity or not. I think that's a really positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. You know, I didn't even think of it that way in terms of like the normal people needing that, because I will say when you said the catfish thing a couple of years ago, someone actually catfished me on Twitter. I mean, um, Tinder and I don't use dating apps, but later on, someone found me on Instagram and it was a guy that told me that he thought it was me and he went to meet her. Like this guy lived on the border of Ohio or like Pittsburgh and then or like the girl lived in Pittsburgh. Basically, when he met her, complete different person yeah and then he like found me and i was like freaked out because i was like still in college at the time this person used my figure skating photos which to me is like kind of intimate because like you had to dig deep to find my competitive figure skating year so it was just very strange and i'm like wow like it's one thing to be catfished online but then for someone to go meet up with someone that was pretending to be you like holy crap like that's crazy you know yeah so i I, so i think that that because of and there's so many stories like that and i think that that protection existing you know that and that protection exists within dating apps now like you can verify yourself within a dating app and uh which i think and i think that you know the verification badge on there doesn't mean you're famous it means that you matched your id to your profile and that's that's basically i think what's happening in social media now and i get i don't i think that that is a is a positive thing um you know i don't know again don't know if the pricing structure is the the right situation uh, you know i i don't know you know there's a lot of things i think are going to get shaken out but i i do like the general premise of where that's going for that reason yeah 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 no you have a good point i think that's actually yeah when when you made me think about the catfish thing i think that it's actually fair you know fair to say like you know we need that kind of parameter like the safety the safetyness of that Totally. I want to transition into talking about like, you know, your personal life and how you balance it all, right? Because obviously you are the CEO of CrowdSurf and you do, you know, you're you're managing a lot, you're doing a lot in your work life and in your career. And I'm sure that's very busy and you're probably always kind of on in, in a way, right? Um, but how are you finding time to, you know, spend quality time with friends or maybe like in your romantic life and, and just everything else that we kind of need to fill the bucket at some point to really feel fulfilled in our life? Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, I was actually, I was, right before this, I was on with my my therapist and I was talking about how when, when, my, when my bucket is full, so to speak, my cup is mm-hmm. full, I can handle really stressful situations really well. Mm-hmm. And when it's not is when like, I feel like I, I don't be, I'm not the best person of the best version of myself in tough situations. So, yeah. you know, I, I think it'll be a journey throughout my whole life to figure out the right balance between, you know, work and life. And, and I think it's because I, I like what I do. And when you like what you do, that's great that you like what you do, but sometimes it's a, uh, you know, it's, it becomes hard to prioritize other things because you actually really, and you're not doing it because you have to, you're, you're doing this work thing because you really like it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, something that I, 
I do is I, uh, I, I, I try to schedule things, social things in my life the same way I do work things. I mm -hmm. put them on my calendar the same way. Mm -hmm. I try to prioritize not moving them the same way. I would try to not prioritize moving in important meeting. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, a lot of times I would move things around personally because I would be like, oh, I'm going to miss an opportunity for work. I'm going to have FOMO of missing out something in my, my industry. And at some point, I think you just have to accept that, like, in order to have a social life and to have a relationship and to have hobbies, that you are going to be missing some opportunities at work. Mm. But mm -hmm. your cup is not going to be full to perform well at work. So it's probably not worth the trade off. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I missed a meeting yesterday that. I didn't miss a meeting. I mean, I was, I didn't like not show up. I, I was scheduled to not be there and had somebody covered it, but there was a meeting I wanted to, you know, wanted to go to yesterday, but you know, I had a staff member that was covering it and it wasn't extremely crucial at the time. And I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go surf this morning instead. Aww, and that's yeah. okay. Um, mm -hmm. But you have, to, I, I, I really have to like stay focused and push myself to do that. But I have to, I have to sort of, I've had to sort of train myself to schedule personal things the same way I would a work thing. And it goes on, it goes on my calendar the same way. Mm -hmm. And I talk to my assistant about prioritizing it the same way as well. Yeah. Uh, and she's not allowed to move anything personal without me signing off on it. <laughs> Have you seen like in reflection of your career let's just say over the past five years, especially have you seen moments where specifically you could remember if your cup wasn't full in like your own self-care regimen or making social time whatever that looked like did you see how you were then um maybe not as effective in your work life and and vice versa like could did you were you able to like notice that in the moment or in reflection yeah and i'm glad you said vice versa because a lot of times i can't enjoy my social life if i feel like there's something lingering at work and i'm like if i just spend 20 minutes wrapping up my inbox today i'm gonna have a much better night um, so there's that side of it, but also like it work. Yeah. When there's something going on at home or I haven't had enough time to like do something fun for me, or I haven't gotten like proper alone time to just sit and watch like nine one one or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm probably going to not, I think the thing, the part that suffers with me, because this is the part that takes the most energy is doing like, like social things at work. So like mentorship call or running a meeting I'm, I'm probably going to be more likely to snap or be short mm -hmm. if I don't take care of myself because yeah. I'm going to be like why am I working so hard to be <laughs> nice and diplomatic with these people when I don't even have time to take care of myself you know I think that's kind right. of you know subconsciously where that comes from so mm -hmm. and and that and that's not good that's not going to get better results for my clients it's not going to get better results for me but that's mm -hmm. what you know i see that start to slip when i haven't dedicated as much time to myself as i should have for sure would you say there are i don't know i don't want to use the word like regrets but anything maybe that you wish you did differently in terms of cultivating that balance over you know, your career time that you would share with younger women who are also as ambitious and they maybe skew towards kind of working a lot and are very hyper-focused on performing well, things like that. Anything you would share with them in reflection of your own career journey? I mean, I think everyone has to kind of get their, on, their own to a certain extent. But the thing, I, the thing I wish I did start doing earlier is having 
weekly or bi-weekly therapy sessions. Like even mm. if you have nothing to talk about, the fact that you're blocking an hour of time to like where you're the priority and your thoughts are the priority is so powerful. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's a terrible therapist, the fact that you are blocking time for yourself is amazing. And yeah. I think something that's really important to me when with having therapy is that I don't feel, I feel a lot of times I can't talk about some of the stuff I talk about in therapy with my friends because I feel like I'm like emotionally dumping on them and I don't want to ruin their mm -hmm. day or seem ungrateful or be judged for what I'm thinking. And right. I kind of like the, I, this is bad, but I, I like the idea of it being a financial, I don't feel guilty because it is a financial transaction. I'm like, I'm literally Absolutely. paying that person to deal with me and they're being compensated for it. So I don't feel <laughs> guilty no matter how negative I am or how bizarre my thoughts are. Um, right. So that's the one thing I wish I would have, I wish I would have been doing that. I wish I had it in high school, but uh, you know, times have changed and it's more common now. And I think there's more options with that, but I, I do wish that I started that regimen earlier in my life. Yeah. And I'm just really curious. So can you dive in really quick? Like what's your daily or weekly schedule? Like, like what time do you wake up? Like, do you have a morning routine? Do you have an evening routine? How do you kind of keep yourself as centered as possible? Cause I'm listening to a little bit of like all the meetings you're involved with, like mentorship calls, like all these different things. I'm like, wait, like I'm trying to, I'm, I'm visualizing your potential Google calendar and it's like, yeah. I'm thinking boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, holy crap, how are you doing that? Cause I'm sure some girls are wondering too, like, how are you doing all of that? <laughs> and like staying sane, you know? <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple things. One, I kind of accepted that I'm not a daily routine person. I think I tried for a long time because I thought it would it it that's how you stay sane mm -hmm. but for i've learned that for me i'm more of a uh phases person i like chunking things so like um r right now i'm in like my work hard in la for two weeks mode so i went mm -hmm. to hawaii for two weeks and i work while i'm there but i'm yeah. obviously not doing in-person meetings so right now i'm in la so it's all about like in la seeing people face to face and then yeah. i'm going to and then i flip and i'm going to go to nashville um I'm getting a tour launch for one of my clients and then I'm going to a conference. So it'll be all hands on deck for that. And then I'll probably come back to LA and have like a more chill LA week, but I, mm -hmm. I, I phase it versus trying to, trying to match a certain routine every day because I, I was failing at that. I, I, you know, I was failing at like, okay, I'm going to get up and meditate and work out and shower. Like, that's just not, I, I don't know. I, that's, it, it's not for me. Um, I, and I, 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 sometimes I want to get up and go straight into email Sometimes I want to get up and go ride my bike, um, yeah. but I like to leave space to be able to sort of follow what I'm feeling versus feeling like I'm having to do something mm -hmm. um, is, you know, kind of how I, I operate. And then in terms of running my Google calendar, I have a lot of, I want to have an assistant to help, but yeah. I, I have a lot of sort of, I guess, preferences with my Google calendar in terms of like, you know, I can only, only schedule X amount of time in a row without a break um always plan x amount of travel time in this location oh mm -hmm. like if you're if you're gonna schedule something before 9 a.m get permission from me first like i have oh. a lot of like sort of like like if this then this rules in order yeah. to because otherwise like people just start filling the whole thing and then the whole day is the color of the calendar oh. and you have to have 
some space to eat, to yes. use the bathroom, to answer <laughs> your email. It was seriously, like there was, yeah. I remember one time and all, all these rules come from situations where I'm like, I don't have time to get up and go like eat or go wash my hands or go use the bathroom or answer wow. the door when the food comes. Like I don't, yeah. I don't have time and I need to figure that out. So you have to like, you have to leave some space for like basic, like human things. Um, and, and, uh, you know, another thing I do is I try to, wherever I can, I try to make a phone call audio versus zoom because I can go walk during that. AirPods yeah. changed my life in terms mm -hmm. of like being able to be more physically active while also like doing something for work. And I actually do better. Um, I, I, I learned that I'm like a kinetic focuser. So when I'm walking, I'm actually going to be more engaged and have better ideas than if I'm sitting down talking on the phone likewise yeah really? no, yeah 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 no and even when you said too about the phases thing like i actually just came back from you know london and italy over like the span of like the past month and like that was like a slower phase for me in the sense of you know my, I, I slowed down on work i was intentional about that i kind of stepped away a little bit and now being back yeah. in new york is very like kind of grind time you know and yep. so i'm i i totally resonate with everything you said there too just like the phases instead of having a routine because you have to find out what works for you and I think when people hear that from like you know an example like yourself and then hearing someone else talk about routine they can hear that both of these can coexist in that yeah you can you can find you know success or like your own strategy in life on whatever works better for you that these two people like also do that as well separately yeah you know? and it's it, it would just be like I I go to Europe a lot my boyfriend is Eastern European, we go to Europe a couple of times oh, a year nice. and his family, but there's yeah. no way I can run the same routine there that I have here. There's just no way. It's so different there. The yeah. weather's different. Like in California, I can go walk and surf and do everything, but it, I can't go do that in East Europe. So yeah. it, it's just, it's just an unreal, realistic <laughs> expectation for how much I travel to be able to have certain things in my routine. When it comes to uh, relationships, how do you guys, or especially for you being so busy, like how do you make intentional time with your partner and find a balance between some, again, cause you, you are similar to me where you have phases where you might be, you know, traveling out of town in Nashville, having, you know, all hands on deck type of moments, and then maybe going back to LA and having slower moments. Like, how did you find the sweet spot for yourself in bringing that into a relationship? Honestly, that's something I'm like navigating. So I'm actually, this is more for me than, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I mean, it's still, still a work in progress. I, yeah. I've, I've had to do a lot of, you know, work on myself in terms of sort of because I, I always say like I'm like a, we're talking about plants a lot but I, I feel like I'm like a succulent like I need very little uh -huh. I'm very independent I don't need a, I don't need like a lot of um water and sunlight oh, apparently but uh, <laughs> oh but most people aren't that you know independent so I, I think just understanding that you know my partner is different than me and that he needs more attention than I do and that's mm -hmm. okay and again I like sort of blocking time in my calendar to like remember to do that because it, it, it yeah. as bad as this may sound that doesn't come natural to me to be like okay I'm gonna make sure I spend one hour with him every day or whatever I'm gonna I have to like <laughs> I have to be I have to think about it a little more mechanically about like okay and then now I'm gonna go to dinner or we're gonna eat at home together or we're gonna go for a walk or we're gonna go surfing oh, together whatever yeah. it is but yeah. I, I have to I have to schedule it this I have to remember it the same way I remember things for work um, yeah and that's I still have progress to make on that, but it, it has mm -hmm. definitely helped.
Ooh, I like that. The, uh, the, the, the making space for them and, you know, putting in your calendar, finding a way to prioritize in whatever you can, in whatever way you can. I like that. Yeah, totally. Always looking at my calendar to make sure, like to think about like, has this part of my life been scheduled correctly? Yeah. Oof. I like that. I'm, I'm just visualizing my calendar right now too, because I'm a huge <laughs> calendar girl. So I'm like, yeah. okay, I see where I can improve on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, last two questions. First one being, do you have any book recommendations you would share that, you know, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, both, uh, anything that stands out to you that you read in recent years or whenever? It's tough. I went through my self-help book phase and I feel mm -hmm. like I'm not in a book phase right now, but the one book I always love is The Four Agreements. Whenever I'm struggling and don't have a therapist scheduled anytime soon, I go through the I go through the four in my head and figure out which one or multiple ones are being violated at that moment. And it mm. can help bring some clarity and peace to any situation. That is a good book. It's funny. Someone I was interviewing in the studio earlier today, she said the same book. <laughs> I have a mini version of it that I keep in my purse. There's like a little pocket oh, really? version. It's not the whole no. literature, obviously, but it like has the highlights of it. And it's oh. like, I like sometimes I'll just sit like outside and just I'll be like, what's bothering me and I'm like I'm gonna sit through my little mini book and yeah you know you can go through it in like five minutes or sometimes I'm like I'm just gonna open up to a page and it's gonna tell me what's wrong and sometimes right. that's pretty revealing too that is so true that's so true I always keep a book in my purse or my bag and it, it helps a lot especially one of those mindfulness books I, I utilize anytime I'm feeling not in equilibrium I always return to that to like yeah. check myself and I, I like that you shared that too <laughs> yeah it's a little I have a little mini four agreements I think they sell them at most like Barnes and Nobles. So nice. It's, it's perfect. Okay, sweet. That's pretty, pretty interesting that you guys said that um, both both guests today said the same book. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. Well, last question and something that I ask every guest on the show, but in reflection of, you know, your career, everything you've experienced in life so far, what would you say ultimately fulfills you in life or where you find fulfillment in life? Um, I think what fulfills me in life is when something good happens to somebody else as a result of what you've done and but that wasn't your intention mm -hmm. so i remember the first time an employee bought a house it was in nashville and that like made me so happy that i and that was never my goal i'm not like i want to start a business because i want to employ people so they can buy a house for themselves i was right. never like a direct goal but for that to be a result of something that I created, it, it felt really special. Um, yeah. You know, those little, like you help somebody and you weren't even trying that. Yeah. I, I think that that's, that's really cool. And owning a business and helping artists has had a lot of those sort of little, those little offshoot moments. And I, they, you know, they're really special and I'm, I'm glad that I've gotten to be a part of that. Yeah. Oh, I love that you share that. You know, I, I think the common denominator amongst all answers is always something to do with impact and people. And, you know, even if it's not directly about people, it's just the way it correlates or ends up being a, like a result of impacting people. And I love that. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of the work I do is like purposeful impact. Like, you mm -hmm. know, I'm trying to help this artist make fans happy, or I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. But mm -hmm. when but was it my goal to like, try to help somebody buy a house, but it happened anyway. I, I don't know. There's something I think the surprise and delight in that is really special. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, amazing, Cassie. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Where can everyone find you and CrowdSurf and link any uh, social media accounts you want us to check out? So the easiest way to get a hold of me is either on LinkedIn messages or on uh, my Instagram messages. I'm more of a behind the scenes social media person. So like I'm DMing people more than I'm posting. Totally. So send me a message. Um, I'm at C-A-S-S-I-E-P-E-T-R-E-Y on both LinkedIn and Instagram. Amazing. I will link that in the show notes and then they'll be able to find you as well. Awesome. And that was all for today's episode with Cassie Petrie, CEO and co-founder of celebrity social media and artist management firm, CrowdSurf. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to share this with a friend on your Instagram story and tag the podcast Instagram at you and or my personal one at Emily E. Duong because I do love seeing you guys share on your social media and seeing who is tuning in. And that is all for today. Thank you again for listening and I would chat with you all in the next episode.